good morning, church. So glad that we can be together this morning again to share and encourage God's word with one another. Last week, we started a series of messages titled Faith for a Great Future, and we're going to continue on in that uh, this morning. And we started last week by looking at James chapter 1. And we're going to read again the same verses that we read last week because there are, there's so much in these verses that can encourage us when we go through testing times. We're going to read from verse 1 of James chapter 1 through to verse 8. And in these words, James gives us an incredible picture about the trials of life. And James really does assure us that trials and tests of every kind are not something to avoid. They're not enemies to avoid. They're actually friends to embrace. Let's read from James chapter 1 through to verse, uh, from verse 1 to verse 8. It says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various diverse or manifold trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him who asks, ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, we said last week that James was writing to the 12 dispersed tribes of Israel. The 12 dispersed tribes that had scattered under the persecution that had hit the early church. And he really did want to encourage their faith. They obviously were confused about what was happening. They didn't know whether the whether they were ever going to get back to their homes. They had been dispersed and scattered throughout the region. But James wanted to bring clarity. James wanted to bring uh, uh, truth and clarity into the confusion that they were facing. So he writes these incredible words to them to encourage them to strengthen them, and to empower them to go forward into the future that God had for them. You know, many of them may have been thinking, is this the end of our faith? Is this the end of our journey in God? Well, James came with a clear word to really give them fresh hope, fresh perspective from God's word about the trials and the tests that they were facing. Now today, 
we're going to look at four imperative commands that James sets out in the verses that we've just read. These imperative commands are in the single words that he carefully chooses and selects to give us guidance and direction in every trial that we face. Let me give them to you. Just four little words that James uses, four little words that can easily be overlooked. But when we understand their power, when we understand that they have great resource for us in amidst pressure, in amidst trying times, we truly will value them and notice them every time we read this portion of Scripture. Because they're vital. If we're going to navigate our life through trials and tests, of any kind, it's important that we understand these imperative commands in the words that James uses in the verses that we've read. The first word is the word count, and it's in verse 2. The second word that we're going to look at today is the word know or knowing, and that's in verse 3. The third word that's really important is just a small word, it's in verse 4, and it's the word let. And then finally, the last word that we're going to consider today is in verse 5, a vital word. If we are going to get through the trials and the tests of life, this is vital for us to understand, and it's in verse 5, it's the word ask. Now, in these four words that James uses, that James issues as guidance to us, as we unpack them and as we value them and understand them, we will be able to navigate our lives through any test, no matter how big it is, no matter how overpowering it might be, if we understand the guidance and the commands and follow them that James is giving to us in what he writes in these eight verses, we will truly be victorious in every difficulty. We will have a testimony from every trial, from every test that our lives undergo. So this morning, as we consider these four words, we're going to look at four points and outcomes that come from them to understand the power of what James is talking about when he talks about trials and tests of every kind. So I'm going to give you four points. We're going to look at them as we go through our study this morning. The first point that I want to give to you is is this, counting enables us to have a joyful attitude in the trials of life. Counting enables us to have a joyful attitude. Point number two, knowing enlightens us to have an understanding mind. We don't have to live in the dark. When we go through the trials of life, when we go through the difficulties that we face, we do not have to go through the dark. We can have light. Knowing enlightens us to have an understanding mind. Third point, letting evokes a surrendered 
will. Do you know it's important that we're able to follow God's way and not our way when things get confusing. It's important that our faith kicks in, that our faith stands to the fore, and that we go God's way and not our way. And if we're going to go his way, have a guess what? We're going to have to surrender our will over to his will. Letting evokes a surrendered will. And then finally, point number four, asking empowers us to have a believing heart. So let me just go through them quickly again. Counting enables us, number one, counting enables us to have a joyful attitude. Two, knowing enlightens us to have an understanding mind. Three, letting evokes a surrendered will. And then number four, finally, asking empowers us to have a believing heart. Now, for some of us today, I believe that these points are going to prepare us for the future. Because remember, James doesn't say, if you go through a testing time, if you go through a trial. No, he says, when. There's an inevitability about these trials of life that come thick and fast to every single one of us. It's not an if, it's a when. These trials at some point in all of our lives are going to land on our doorstep and we need to know what to do when we are faced with difficult situations. And God wants us to be strong in the face of any adversity. You know, God wants to set us up to win. God wants to set us up to be victorious amidst any storm, amidst any trial, amidst any difficulty. He really does. So it's important that we're prepared. And these points may prepare you today. This word may prepare you for what's coming. But for some of us today who are already in a difficult situation, we're facing a circumstance that's confusing. Or we're in a crisis that seems as if that there seems to be no way out of. Do you know, I pray that these these words and this message will be an encouragement to you to continue on through and to triumph in every storm and in every trouble that you face. So let's look at this first point today. Counting enables us to have a joyful attitude. Verse 2, James writes this, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various diverse or manifold trials. Now, last week we looked at this word in, in, to, to some degree, but I want us to go over it again because it's so important. By using this word count in verse 2, James is directing us to make a correct evaluation about the problems that we face. To come to the right conclusion. To arrive at a correct outcome about what we're facing. And this isn't easy sometimes. It's very difficult when the heat is on. When, when the pressure is heavy. Sometimes it's hard to count. It's hard to come to a correct evaluation about the problems that are in front of us. It's not easy. 
But we have to say this, it's not impossible either. It is possible. You see, God wants to set us up for victory. And sometimes victory is enforced, not easily. Sometimes it's difficult, but if we follow God's word, if we follow God's way, if we do what he requires, if we listen to these imperative commands that James gives, that God outlines in his word for us, we will come through strong, we will come through better, we will come through victorious. James is telling us by using this word, count in verse 2, he's telling us to make the right evaluation. Not to make an evaluation based on our senses or our feelings or our expectations. No, James is instructing us to make a correct evaluation based on God's promise, based on God's plan, based on the bigger picture for your life that's contained in this present circumstance that you're facing. James is telling us to get our perspectives from God's word, from God's plan for our lives. Do you know if I gave you an A to Z of Cardiff, for you to go sightseeing in London, you would look at me if, as if I was crazy. You'd, you'd look at me as if, you know, I was just mad. How on earth can you go sightseeing in London with an A to Z of Cardiff? The roads are different. The street names are different. Every route around the, the, the city is different to that of Cardiff. An A to Z of Cardiff in London would have no use. You'd never be able to use it in a million years. It'd be completely impossible. An A to Z of Cardiff in London has no use. You know, very often the trials of life, when we go through them, we hold the A to Z of past experience and expect it to work. We hold up the A to Z of people's opinion or the A to Z of flippant, erratic decisions in the midst of pressure and expect it to work. But the A to Z of past experience, the A to Z of people's opinion, the A to Z of, you know, erratic decisions that we just pull out of the air in the face of a present trial is completely deficient for our needs in life. And this is what James is telling us. We don't need the A to Z of opinion. We don't need the A to Z of past experience. We need the A to Z of God's word, of God's promise, of God's perspective on the problem in order to nav navigate it successfully. James 1.22. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What is he saying? He's saying get the word of God central to your life. Get the word of God central in your perspective. And amidst the problems of life, do that. Obey that. Listen to that. Be guided and navigated by that. 
Count that, evaluate that in the midst of all of the pressures, in the midst of all of the difficulties. Get your evaluations, draw your conclusions and draw your outcomes based on that and not based on anything else and then you will go through what you need to go through. This word count is very important. And you know when you get the big picture in the present problem that you're in, joy is the result. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. James isn't telling us to deny the sufferings that we undergo. James isn't telling us that it's going to be easy. James isn't saying that we've got to deny our feelings and bury our head in the sand like an ostrich and as if, you know, none of the problems that we're in exist. No, he's not telling us to ignore reality, but what he is saying is he's saying, listen, you, you get your evaluations and your calculations and your conclusions based on God's word, not based on faulty old opinions that won't stand up in the day of difficulty. David put it like this in Psalm 119, verse 105. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The A to Z of God's word will be a lamp unto your feet. Every step that you need to make in difficult times will be guided by the lamp of God. And it will be a light. The word of God, that A to Z word of God, will be a light all the way on down the path into your future to get you beyond the season that you're in. And it'll enable you to navigate through the difficulties that you face. We need the word of God. We need to count and evaluate and conclude and bring our outcomes onto the table from the, from the findings that we have from God's word, not from anything else. Job had the right perspective about trials when he said in Job 23, verses 10 to 12, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Verse 10, what is he saying? Well, by saying this, he's referring to the trial as being greatly beneficial for his life. He's evaluating the test. He's evaluating and bringing a conclusion to all of the difficulties that he is going through. And after making his evaluation, after summing up his thoughts about all of the circumstances that he's undergoing, he counts and he concludes. And his conclusion is correct. He says, I will come forth as gold. He's referring to the life qualities that are going to be developed in his character as a result of the test that he's undergoing. The trials and the tribulations that Job went through were horrendous. And yet, 
he concludes about all of those trials and tribulations that he faced, that they would have a rich reward for his life. I will come forth as gold, he says. Then verse 11, he goes on to say, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his word and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job was saying, listen, I know the A to Z that I have in my heart, the word of God, it's going to navigate me through this difficulty. It's going to navigate me through this crisis, even though it may be complex, even though it may be confusing, even though I don't understand it, even though it seems like a giant, my foot is not going to depart from the path that you've set out. I am going to go your way, God. I am, I am not going to allow my foot to err from the plan and from the path that you have for me. My foot is going to stand fast in the steps that you want me to take. And then he talks about not departing from the commandments of God, from the word of God that he's being instructed by. And he treasures that word in his trial. He treasures that word in his difficulty, in the confused place that he, he was in. The word of God was a living, ready resource to take him through. And it's no different for you and me. It really isn't. Yes, you may be tested, child of God. Yes, the trial may be fiery and hard and consuming. But you will come forth as gold. Value, incredible value and enrichment and reward will be imparted into your life. And Job understood this and it's important that we understand it too. Counting is very, very important. And this imperative command that James gives us when he says count it all joy is vitally important for us to arrive at a correct place and for us to go the distance in the midst of the tests. Counting enables us to have a joyful attitude in the most sorrowful circumstances, in the most bitter situations, we can become better. Because counting, when we count correctly from the perspective of God's promise, our attitude will be joyful, enabling us to go through and to go forward into the future that God has for each one of us. Now, secondly, the next imperative command, the next imperative word that James gives to us is the word no. And that's found in verse 3. Knowing, let's, let's look at point number 2 from this word. Knowing enlightens us to have an understanding mind. Verse 3, James says this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
Now, sometimes, you know, when trials come into our lives, they come in like a wrecking ball on the end of a crane. That's what it feels like anyway. It, three, it feels as if you're thrown all around the room and this wrecking ball just comes in. It comes to destroy. It comes to demolish everything that you've built, everything that you deem as valuable and precious. This trial just comes from nowhere, unexpected, uninvited, Surprise, surprise, like a jack-in-the-box jumping up in front of you. And this wrecking ball just comes and it tries to obliterate anything that we have. That's how it feels anyway. And we ask the question, why me? Why now? What's going on? And we've got all of these questions and it seems that we don't have any answers for the questions that are really probing our mind. But by using this word no, James is wanting us to have an understanding mind. We don't have to go blind into a trial. When we fall into tests of various kinds, and there are many, we don't have to be blind. James wants us to have understanding. He really does. Understanding that ultimately the trial will result in something that's wonderfully productive, not destructive. When trials come, they can seem to just throw us into the dark. You know when you get a power cut at home, all the lights go off, it's in the middle of the night, you know, and you're, you're kind of scrabbling around to find the the candles in the cupboard, just to get some light so that you can move safely around the house. And you're thrown into the dark and any kind of movement is dangerous and difficult. Well, trials are like that sometimes. You get thrown into a trial. You get thrown into a difficult situation, maybe at work. Maybe at home something happens. Maybe with a group of friends, suddenly this trial, this crisis comes out of nowhere. And it's as if there's a power cut. It's as if, as, it's as if all the lights go off in your life. And you're bumping around not knowing where, where to go or what to do. You're looking for a little bit of candlelight just to navigate through this darkness. That's what trials can be like. Sometimes it can seem as if we're immersed in darkness and it's really difficult and hard to manage and know what to do. Well, James wants us to have understanding. James doesn't want us to move around in the dark in ignorance. James wants us to know, to understand, not to live in darkness in the challenges that we face, but to have the lights on, to understand, to have an understanding mind. That's why he uses this word, know, so that we might know that in every trial there is value, that in every trial there is hope. It's not a permanent position. It's not a permanent season without any end. No, there's a reason for it. 
And he doesn't want us to be ignorant. There's invaluable, invaluable resource and riches to receive from it. And that's what he wants us to understand in our mind. That's the thinking that he wants us to have as we approach these difficult situations that come to us inevitably at some point in our lives. And what he wants us to understand is the wonderful attribute of patience that's given to us as our faith is tested as we go through the trials. Now, patience yields powerful results. Patience is a word that's way, way underestimated. Patience is such a magnificent word, such a magnificent trait to have in your character. In the Bible, patience is not a passive acceptance of circumstance. It's a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. When we are patient, you know, we're not just letting life roll over us and flatten us out. We are facing forward into our future undaunted by what's in front of us. Faith forward with a heart dependent on God. Faith, patience enables us to stand. Patience enables us to remain faithful in the midst of, of difficult times, in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of complex problems. When everybody else is running away, when everybody else has given up hope, you're there standing strong, patiently enduring. And James wants us to know, James wants us to know that the testing of our faith produces patience. He wants to give us understanding that these trials and these difficulties that have got your name written all over them, are there for a reason. They're not there without reward. They're not there just to make life difficult and for you to just endure life and not enjoy it. No, they're there to enrich you. They're there to bring great benefit and great reward in your life. And James wants us to know that when we face them so that we don't get bitter by them, but that we are bettered by life's trials, not embittered by them. God wants to make us patient. Why? Because patience is the key to all of his blessings. You know, there's that little verse in the book of Hebrews where it says, through faith and patience, the men and women who have gone before us inherited the promises of God through faith and patience. Not just through faith, but through patience as well. Patience is faith's partner. And we need both of them in order to inherit the full blessings of God's promise. Patience is a vital attribute that we need in our character and this is what I've found about patience. I don't know about you. It's not a gift to be received, 
but it's a character trait to be grown. And very often, you know, we can receive gifts by the laying on of hands and we can receive gifts that God gives us into our hearts. But you know, you don't receive patience as a gift. Patience is grown in fiery trials. Patience is grown in hard, conflicting circumstances. When you get rebuffed from every side, from every angle, when you get hit by life, don't just endure it. James says, know that the testing of your faith produces patience. And it's a wonderful, wonderful quality and trait to have in our characters. Do you remember that story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were in prison? You know, their backs were bleeding. They had been beaten and finally they had been sent to prison. But about midnight, the Bible says that they were praying and they were singing and all of the prisoners were listening. What is that? It's a beautiful picture, an illustrative picture of two men patiently knowing that the testing of their faith would produce in them a resilience, a strength, a patience to endure even such a, 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 a difficult situation like that. Patiently enduring, praying patiently, singing patiently, and then their patience powerfully seeing the outcome of God's power, open those prison doors, break every chain, and set them free. Patience is powerful. How is it that you can sing in such a circumstance as being incarcerated in chains and imprisoned in a dungeon? How is it possible that you can keep your spirits high and not be broken by that awful punishment. How is it possible? I'll tell you why it was possible for these men. Because that area of patience, that quality in their character had been perfected and, and been worked out and worked in through many trials and difficulties. You know, patience is powerful. And God wants to help us in the trials that we face to enrich us with that wonderful trait, that wonderful quality. On the other hand, we all know how dangerous it is to be impatient. If patience enriches us, impatience robs us. It really does. We don't want to be robbed of the blessings of God, shortcut the process, and not receive what God has for us through being impatient. Abraham and Sarah were impatient and they ran ahead of God as Abraham slept with Hagar and produced Ishmael. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child in his time but it was taking too long and they thought that God had forgotten about the promise. They thought God had given up on them because of their age. And therefore, Sarah has a, a, an idea for Abraham to take his maidservant, 
Hagar and to produce a child with her. Ishmael's produced and chaos erupts in their home, in their family life, and they can't go forward into the future that God has for them. Why? Because of impatience. And impatience produced such hurt and pain in their lives. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 16. They were impatient. They were impulsive with their decisions. And it wreaked havoc. It, it really did. God does not want us to be impatient. Because impatient leads to us not receiving the promises of God. Now, God's gracious. Even after that situation, they went on to receive that promise that God had promised to them in Isaac. But it was in his time, not in their time. Not only do we see how patient, imp impatience complicates the plans that God has for us, we also see how it can really remove us out of God's will for our lives. Moses was impatient. He ran ahead of God in Egypt. He wanted to set God's people free, but 40 years too early. 40 years too early, he ran ahead, he was impulsive, he murdered an Egyptian, and then he had to run to the backside of the wilderness to look after sheep. Why? For patience to be worked in him. And for the next 40 years, God worked out that impatience, that impetuous, that erratic spirit that he had learned when he was in Pharaoh's house, for the next 40 years, God worked it out of him. And after that, he became that great deliverer who was meek, who was patient, who was able to leave, lead the people of God. But patience, impatience, sorry, has no part in the plan of God for our lives. We could go on. Peter nearly killed a man with his sword. As he struck off his ear, he was probably going for his head, but he struck off the man's ear. Why? Because he was impatient and he wanted to take the situation that was occurring in the garden around Jesus into his own hands. He wanted to use his own strength, but Jesus had already prayed, not my will, but thy will be done, O God. Jesus was settled to suffer. Jesus, the perfect picture of divine patience, was willing to endure the cross and the shame for the joy that was set before him. Jesus wasn't in the garden trying to take things into his own hands, trying to shortcut the process impatiently. He could have called 10,000 angels. But no, he patiently endured. He patiently suffered. But impatience stood up and started to try and take things into its own hands. In Peter, what did Jesus do? He commanded impatient Peter to put away his sword. And he picked up the man's ear. And he healed him. Because of his patient spirit. You know, patience has such an incredible, incredible place to play in our lives. And the Lord wants to enrich us with this wonderful fruit, this wonderful quality. Go after patience, church.
Thank God for your problems. Thank God for your trials. Thank God for all of the difficulties you face. Because if you come out of those difficulties and those trials and those circumstances more patient, you truly are enriched. You truly are strengthened. You truly are becoming the man and the woman of God that he wants you to be. You know, James understands as I'm sure we understand just how expensive patience is and what we have to go through to get it. And that's why he says, no, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, he wants us to have an understanding mind in order for us to go through the trials that we face to get this rich deposit of patience. Then thirdly, James continues to build on these imperative commands in the words that he gives to us by introducing this little word, let. It's found in verse 4, point number 3, letting evokes a surrendered will. Verse 4 says this, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James is saying to us here in these words, listen, don't misunderstand the value of what you're going through. Keep going. Go the distance. Don't shortcut the process. Let patience have its perfect work, but you've got to let it. You've got to let it work. You've got to let it have its perfect work. Don't shortcut the process. Don't go on a bypass route to get around the problem. Extract the value from the problem that's there, hidden in it, to enrich your life. It's going to require that we surrender our will. It's going to require that we surrender our way. That's what it's going to require. And we're going to have to follow God's way. We're going to have to obey God's will as it's revealed in his word. If we're going to let patience have its perfect work, we have to surrender and submit. And then we will become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Just imagine that. Just imagine being made perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, it's important for us to understand that this word perfect isn't pointing to flawless perfection. We only get that when we go to heaven. No, it's not pointing to flawless perfection. It's referring to our maturity, to our growth. It's referring to wholeness and the full development of areas of our character. But God can't build our character in amidst the problems and the tests that we face without our cooperation. If we resist him, 
if we try to shortcut the process, if we say, oh man, I've had enough of this, I'm out of here. Or if we complain continually like the children of Israel did as they wandered around the wilderness for all of those years in circles, then his work in our lives will be hindered. We've got to submit. We've got to go God's way. We've got to obey. We've got to listen to his guidance and to his instruction. And step by step, stage by stage, we will come on through. We've got to make a choice. We're involved in this process. It doesn't just happen automatically. There are aspects of our Christian life that God takes care of. Thank God, probably 95% of our Christian life, God just takes care of it. But there are aspects that we have to work out. We have to obey. We have to follow God. We don't get it right all the time. But we've got to make that choice today. Listen, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to extract from this test everything I can. Why? Because I want to become perfect. I want to become complete, lacking nothing. I want to reach a level of maturity in this area of my life. I want to be more like Jesus. It's a choice we have to make, a decision that we have to take. Listen, we make the choice. God makes the change. And that change is a wonderful completion in areas of our character that may at this moment in time be lacking and impaired. Paul, the Apostle Paul, like James, used this little word, let, to command and direct on so many occasions when he wrote his letters to the church. Colossians 3 verse 15, you'll recognize it. He says this, let the peace of God rule in your heart. He's giving us an imperative command in the word that he uses here. Let it rule. Make a decision. Make a choice. Go with this. Don't work against peace. Don't let your actions and your attitudes Conflict with the peace that's trying to rule in your heart. Govern your life. Let it rule. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He's giving us an imperative in this word. Then Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Listen, if that word of Christ dwells in us richly, we will let patience have its perfect work. Because the Word of God will instruct us. The Word of God will reveal to us the rewards that are hidden within the circumstances and trials that we undergo in life. And then another, another uh, command and direction and guidance that Paul gives us is found in Colossians 4 verse 6. And these are only three of many. Colossians 4 verse 6, Paul says this, Let your speech always be with grace. He's giving us imperative commands in these words, in these admonitions, in his writings, so that we become complete. But in order for us to let the 
peace of God rule in our hearts, in order for us to let the word of Christ dwell within us richly, in order for our speech to be seasoned with God's grace, the patience, the patience of God has to be has to be perfected in our lives through the trials and the tribulations that we undergo. Because patience is the key to all of the blessings that God has for us. And then finally, the fourth imperative command that James gives us in the word that he uses that requires our obedience and dependence is found in this word, ask. Verse 5, point number 4, asking empowers us to have a believing heart. Verse 5, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask God for wisdom, James says. And he assures us that God doesn't want to be distant. He assures us in, in, in challenging us to ask God for wisdom, he assures us that God won't stand on the outside of the trials and the circumstances that we face. No, if we ask God for wisdom. James says, listen, God's going to give it to you liberally and abundantly without reproach. And by that, he means this. God isn't going to rebuke you for asking him for wisdom. James says he gives it to all. He gives it to everyone, to anyone that will come to him and ask him for wisdom. God doesn't want to see us suffer. God gets no pleasure out of the difficulties and the crises that we face that are in front of us. God gets no pleasure out of it. God wants us to win. God wants to set us up to triumph and to be victorious. And that's why James comes out strong and he says, listen, if you're struggling with this trial, if you're struggling and you're confused and you're in over your head, come on, ask God for wisdom. He'll be there. You'll encounter him. You'll get wisdom on a level that you never imagined. You'll be more than equipped, more than able to go through. Didn't Paul say that we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, who are called according to his purpose? We referred to it last week. Well, we will know that all things work together for good when the wisdom of God comes into that difficult area, that crisis situation, and begins to unpack itself and begins to give you understanding and, and enablement as to what to do in how to go forward. Wisdom for every life problem. Wisdom for every crisis. Wisdom for every problem. That is your portion, child of God, all you have to do is ask. Ask. God says, I'll give it. But I just won't give it in a meager amount. I'll give it liberally. It pours out of him. It abundantly and, 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 and profusely covers 
more than covers every situation and crisis that you or I face. That gives us great security. That gives us great hope. Listen, you haven't got to look or I haven't got to look at the problems we face in the way that we may have looked at them in the past. When we understand that we have access to God's wisdom, when we understand that we can encounter his presence, that he will be by our side. My God, we'll be excited to go forward into every difficulty, into every storm, into every crisis. Why? Because we'll encounter him in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the difficulties of life. And we'll encounter his wisdom. Ask, James says, and it'll be given to you abundantly. Psalm 46 verse 1, David said this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. David was saying, listen, God doesn't sit on the sidelines of my life when I'm going through it. He doesn't sit on a, like, like an observer critiquing me as to whether I'm making the right decision, as to whether I'm taking the right steps forward to get through. No, God's not an observer. God, ju God ju jumps right into the situations of life that you face. He's by your side and he's ready to have a conversation with you and impart wisdom to you as to how to go forward. James is challenging us in this imperative command that he gives to us in this word ask. Challenging us to rely on God. Not to just, you know, take our old level of thinking into the problems that we face and come up with all of the wrong answers and all of the wrong conclusions. No, he's saying, listen, there's wisdom for you on a level that's unimaginable. He can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's wisdom. According to the power that works within us. That wisdom will unpack itself in you and you will know what to do as you go forward into the future. Hallelujah. Oh, God is so good. You know, God doesn't sit like some football fan with all the crowds critiquing the players on the field as to, you know, the decisions that they're making about the game. Do you know what? God jumps onto the field of your life. God jumps into the game. And he doesn't, he doesn't sit with the observers. He doesn't sit with the crowd of spectators. He gets into the field. And he joins you to bring you victory. To bring you on through. And to give you triumph in the midst of every test. Hallelujah. Someone has rightly said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart. But wisdom is the ability to put them back together again. And things may have fallen apart in our lives. Circumstances may have hit hard. Events may have happened that you never foresaw. And they're all laying apart on the floor. And you think this is it. This is over. No, it's not it, child of God. It is not it. I tell you that now. And you might know. That everything's apart and everything's on the floor. And life hasn't turned out for you as you hoped it would. And you, you've just resigned yourself to this is the way it is now. No, it's not the way it is. I tell you now, listen to the word of God. 
Wisdom. Wisdom. The wisdom of God will enable you to put it all back together again. I tell you, that's a word from God. Even though there's nobody in the building at the moment, I am telling you, that is the word of God for you this morning. Things may have fallen apart. Things may be in pieces on the floor. And you don't have the knowledge, the know-how, how to put it all back together. But I'm telling you, if you ask for wisdom, it'll all be put back together and it will be perfect. As if it's never been broken. And it may take time. And it may take effort on your part. But I'm telling you now, if you ask, God will not rebuke you for asking. God will not stand on the sidelines. He'll get right into the mix and he will show you how everything can be worked together for good. Because you love him. Amen. Take that today and be encouraged by it. Listen, I'm going to close with a story that I read recently, and uh, this blessed me so much. And um, it was written by a pastor who had a church, and one of, his, one of his congregation members were going through a very, very difficult time. And uh, she had suffered a stroke. Her husband was blind and was admitted to hospital, and he, they didn't think, the doctors didn't think that he was going to survive the week. Everything hit this woman hard all at once. She was suffering. She was immersed into a fiery trial. And it seemed as if it was the end of all hope for her. When she walked into church that Sunday morning, the pastor went up to her quickly and he said, my love, I want you to know that I have been praying for you. The lady looked at him and she said, pastor, can I ask you one thing? What have you been praying for? And he was kind of startled and surprised by her question because he just wanted to show her compassion. She said, Pastor, what have you been praying for? And he kind of stumbled over his words. Well, he said, I've been praying that you'd be strengthened. He said, I've been praying that you would experience God's grace and other things. And she said, Pastor, thank you for your prayers. She said, I don't want to seem unappreciative of the time that you've prayed for me. But can I ask you to pray one more prayer? And he said, what? Of course I'll pray. She said, Will you pray for wisdom? She said, because I don't want to waste the trial that I'm in. I want to extract everything that God has for me and my husband for our lives. Because we do not want to go through this painful process without extracting all of the valuable elements that can be taken from this trial. Let me tell you, that lady understood James chapter 1. She understood the power and the riches that are contained and the reward that's contained in the trials, the difficulties, and the challenges of life. I'm going to pray right now. Child of God, you are precious in his sight. And let me tell you, 
No matter what we go through today, no matter what we face in the future, let us go forward knowing, knowing that God is with us. Let us go forward assured that God has given his word. Let us face every trial, every circumstance that we undergo with the confidence that Paul had when he faced life's challenges by saying, I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Every circumstance, every trial, every difficulty that we go through in life, we are to be confident in. Not confident with our own strength leading to arrogance. Not confident in our own resolve to get through tactfully. No, confident, knowing that the good work that Jesus has begun in us will be performed, perfected, and completed. Not depleted in any way. I'm going to pray right now. I trust that this word has encouraged you. I hope it has. I hope for us who are in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a difficult situation, I pray that you would extract every ounce of good through the sufferings and the difficulties that you face. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your people today. Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would be a light unto our feet, a, la a, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that, Lord, you would lead us forward, and that, Jesus, that your work would be done and undertaken in all of the situations about us. Father, I pray for your peace to be upon your people in every home. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us for the days in which we live. And that you would perfect that which belongs to you, our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. Church, I pray that you have a wonderful week. Continue to pray for our nation, for our land. Continue to do that, that, we, that our government would have wisdom and understanding as to how to uh, take our nation forward in the coming months. And also, let's continue to pray for the, the amazing work that our NHS workers are doing at this time. Many of our congregation work within uh, hospitals, the Royal Gwent and other hospitals around and other care agencies. We have workers, care workers in our church. Let's continue to pray for all of our NHS workers as they uh, are caring for patients and looking to bring them through back to full health. Let's continue to pray for those that are really serving our community at this time. God bless you. We're praying for you. And I just pray that you have a blessed week. And listen, continue to strengthen yourself in the word of God. God bless you. Have a great week.